0: be free the way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damn you end Taking your right into self-defense They say you're safe, but they don't make sense Dangerous ones will not turn in their guns. All the unions always ask for All we buy is made out of foreign orange Be free the way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damned
1: Dan Uen. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever-so-humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, Coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And man, oh man, it has been a week since we have been together. This is the uh, first time uh, being back on the air since... Uh, just before the 4th of July, so I do hope all of you guys had a great Independence Day and uh, didn't have to deal too much with the insanity that is the current political climate here in the States. If you're like me, uh, then you probably had your fair share of adventure and unfortunate circumstances that have arisen due to little things like INFLATION! You know, low Putin price hike, according to some sources, and and why shouldn't we believe those sources? Why shouldn't we take Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. at his word? He's obviously the solution to all our problems he's been at it for nearly 50 years now since he first set foot in dc he knows all the players he knows how the game is played he knows what the solutions are and you know i actually i don't say that with any bit of sarcasm or any bit of uh, reverse humor involved there he really does know he has forgotten and i really believe this to be the case too, forgotten way more about how the game of politics is played in Washington, D.C. than most of us will ever know. He's been at it for a while. That's why he is as corrupt as he is. Why the Biden crime family have their fingers and tendrils uh, everywhere international. Why Joe Biden doesn't like Jill because. Uh, why Joe Biden doesn't like Jill. No, why Hunter Biden doesn't like Jill, which we know about now because of leaked documents and uh, leaked audio. You know, we just keep getting more and more verified, true, and actual leaked audio uh, about Joe Biden talking to Hunter about hey on this interview I think you're good yeah uh, you know when he tells the american people that he never discussed hunter's foreign policy and now we're getting to hear how little hunter liked dr joe biden which is absurd because as we all know dr joe biden is the greatest living doctor uh, of all time <laughs> It's kind of funny. to even to qualify. Greatest living and then of all time afterwards. It's kind of funny. But anyway, when we circle back around, we know these guys know how the game is played. But Joe is not as mentally sharp as he once was. There's no question about that. Even the Democrats are no longer denying that. Uh, and, of course, this is partially displayed by his little gaffe uh, the past few days where he was reading the teleprompter and uh, included in his very passionate speech about why uh, women should not have their ability to murder preborn baby humans uh, interfered with, he uh, read the instructions as well as, well, it's just funny things happened since. In the initial transcripts, which all transcripts are supposed to include everything that Joe Biden said, including the reading of the directions. And if you read it separately, it becomes even more obvious that it wasn't intended to be read. Now, this can be chalked up to a simple rookie mistake at reading a teleprompter. Except we know Joe Biden is a veteran of reading the teleprompter. He's never been that great at it he's a veteran. Now, speaking of somebody who does not have a whole lot of experience reading a teleprompter, I've tried it on a few occasions, it does take some practice. It's not as easy as it might seem. Uh, one of the important things for somebody like Joe, I would imagine would need to be in my case as well, uh, you probably need to size that, uh, <laughs> to put the, uh, the letters a little bigger. You know, size that font up enough that I can read it from <laughs> wherever I'm back from. But uh, this still comes down to this typical Joe gaff. But the transcripts now have been quietly edited. See, in an apparent White House bid to kind of clean up Biden's latest little gaffe, they uh, did this little stealthy transcript tweak. At least that's the... The operative word. It was just a tweak to the transcript. Now, it's already drawing a lot of attention and a lot of mockery. Lots of memes are already out there. So ordinarily, this isn't even something that's been more than a couple of minutes talking about. But there is a little more to it uh, once you scratch below the surface. Now, again, back on Friday, uh, Biden was rallied about the Supreme Court. He was railing on and railing on about the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. He was reading from the teleprompter and calling the decision a, quote, exercise of raw power, which seems a little over the top. And we'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But see, when he quoted the majority decision, he appeared. See, now we're being journalistic. We're using qualifiers. He appeared to read instructions inserted by the speechwriter. Quoting now, Women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of men who do Who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. See, that's the part where things get kind of wonky. When you put that's the end of the quote. There, that is meant for the reader to understand their transitioning from oh, the quote that he was citing. He was supposed to repeat the line. He was supposed to say again, women are not without electoral or political power. It's noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of men who do so consistently higher than the percentage of men who do so. That's how that was supposed to be read. Now, maybe you could play with that a little more, but the point was supposed to just tell all the women out there that are all upset that the government is now once again intervening with their uh, bodily autonomy. Never mind the fact that uh, the government was interfering with our bodily autonomy— When uh, they were trying to force the jab upon every single one of us and still would like for us to follow their instruction. You know, so they're not pushing that quite as hard as they used to, maybe because now they understand that should a lawsuit uh, come of it and that lawsuit eventually make its way to the Supreme Court, that uh, the Supreme Court, under its current makeup, Uh, has this really bad habit, bad as far as the Democrats and the leftists are concerned, of actually falling back on the Constitution and making their determinations. See, we have had in the last few weeks a slow nudge back towards the idea, the notion that the federal government is supposed to be constrained by what is in or not in the Constitution. That the federal government is supposed to be limited in its powers to control us on a day-to-day basis. That the federal government is, in fact, not this huge, massive, gigantic, powerful force in telling us what to do, but the other way around. We have the say. We are the sovereigns. That's us. So Joe misses the notes from the speechwriter. Now that drew a lot of laughter. uh, People giggling. People saying all kinds of things online. But the, uh, the Biden blooper vanished by the time the official transcripts of the speech came out. Let me repeat the line, Biden said. Or at least, meant to say, according to the transcript. Let me repeat the line. So they made a change trying to make Biden look like he didn't flub up. Now, what's the point of that? Everybody in their grandparents already knows what Joe Biden said at this point, at least everybody who cares. Anybody who cares enough to even pay attention was paying attention, and they already know what he actually said. What's the point of changing the transcript? Well, you see, you change the transcript now because at some point down the road, somebody like me is going to be looking up that transcript. And if we don't remember that gap, we're going to uh, look at and report on this story. We're going to formulate what new opinion we're talking about, what he said then, based on what the transcript says, because that's going to be the bit of evidence, the documentation of what occurred. So they're falsifying documentation. Now, somebody that typically also works in the food industry, I can assure you that falsifying documentation has serious repercussions, particularly if it's ever discovered that the falsification is both intentional and that intent is to cover up something unsafe. In this case, I would postulate. I would offer up to you. I would make the argument that the continuation of Joe Biden as president of the United States is unsafe, not just for America, not just for every single American living in this country or abroad, but also for the rest of the world as as a whole. Because when the United States isn't functioning properly, the entire world is a much more dangerous place. We saw that in Ukraine immediately after the ridiculous, preposterous, and completely unplanned withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan. Vladimir Putin would have never sent forces into Ukraine if he believed for a second that this was an administration in Washington, D.C. that was capable of making a right decision, capable of making a calculated decision, capable of being strategic in any way at all. The only strategery these folks work at is in trying to push leftist agenda, which is why you have certain departments under the Biden administration currently plotting on ways to break the law. point that I made in our last get-together, talking about Xavier Garcia. We're trying to find ways to get around the Supreme Court's ruling, saying that the federal government should not be involved with promoting or restricting abortion rights. Certainly shouldn't be spending taxpayer dollars to transport illegal migrants who are currently detained from a state in which they're currently detained in that has strict abortion rights to a state nearby that does not have the same strict abortion uh, laws uh, so as to allow illegal migrants to acquire abortions. Uh, Something else that uh, the documentation, legitimate and correct, is out there now as well. Something we haven't had an opportunity to talk about. We knew what was going on. Basically, after a wave of ridicule again on social media, primarily Twitter, the White House Assistant Press Secretary Simmons insisted that Biden didn't actually read the teleprompter instructions, saying, quote, no, he said, let me repeat that line. I'm afraid that's just not what happened. He didn't say, let me repeat that line. He didn't give any indication whatsoever that he was doing anything other than reading in that moment. Now, if you haven't seen the video footage, I highly recommend you go back and check it out. I'm not going to put the audio up here today. Now, if this continues to be a point of contention over the next few weeks, maybe we'll revisit it and actually play the audio here. But you can literally find that anywhere you want to right now. And that's the great thing about so much video footage existing. You can get actual footage unedited from a multitude of sources. You also, of course, can get a multitude of edited sources. I'm quite certain. That over the course of the next few days, if you care to visit places like ABC and CBS and CNN, you can probably visit those websites, their online presence, and see their coverage, their video clip of this speech that Biden was given. And it would not surprise me any at all. If you didn't find an edited video, if you didn't find that part removed from the coverage. Why? Because if they're going to change this up in the official, the official transcript of the speech, which is supposed to be done in an effort to document for posterity's sake what was said, then what else are they going to be dishonest about? And what's going to stop our mainstream legacy media that's no longer concerned, has not been for a while concerned with actual reporting facts to you, the American public. We've already caught them editing video, uh, busted flat out editing video, all the way back with the uh, Zimmerman case when Trayvon Martin uh, had his life prematurely ended. Now, there's no question the young man Trayvon Martin should be alive today. There's no question if Trayvon Martin had been making better choices at the time, George Zimmerman would have never made the moves that he did and things would have never escalated to the point that they did. So you can blame either side all you want to, but I think both sides can readily uh, agree on the fact that Trayvon Martin should be alive today and would have been alive today had both sides made better choices. And it wouldn't have taken both of them to do it. Only one of them would have had to have made a better choice. Blame whoever you want to. But I think we can agree. Trayvon Martin should be alive today. If you want to go back and talk about that, we've seen where ABC News edited video footage that was released by the police department that took George Zimmerman into custody. Trying to make it look like there was no physical assault. Trying to make it look as if George Zimmerman did not get jumped. Did not take some shots. And it's pretty clear the shots, based on the timing and everything, did not come. He did not get beat in the face by the police. That's not a thing that happened in that instance. Anyway, the point of the matter here is that if they're going to change this. Well, it's a lot like our conversation about lying about his dog. You know, the biter kept biting secret service agents, eventually had to ship it away because, well, it just wasn't getting along with folks. If they'll lie about that, something that in the grand scheme of things really isn't important but to a small number of people, what else are they willing to lie about? Why are you not questioning the lies? Now, I know the majority of people listening to this broadcast on the regular, I don't have to question why you're not uh, asking those uh, questions because you guys already are nine times out of ten you're ahead of me on that and that's that's great but for those among you that are out there that are new to the show or possibly found us by accident and are just listening because you're curious as to what the other side said or oh maybe you heard about this crazy guy tim that's saying these crazy things Why are you not asking the questions if they're willing to lie? Because there's no question that you've been lied to. There is literally no one left in the country that cannot acknowledge that this administration, more so than any in recent history, and man, we've had some that like to tell some whoppers. uh, It's a question of what they like to lie about. The Trump administration told lies, but the majority of those lies were harmless and meant nothing. Couldn't have hurt anybody at all. The Obama administration, there were some flat out doozies in there. But again, they were hidden and sprinkled and, and you had to understand the meaning and the codes. In the Biden administration, there is no coding. There's just flat out lies. Joe Biden has been a liar and a plagiarist for nearly as long as he's been an adult. He's probably been a liar a lot longer than that, but we can't prove plagiarism until he was in college. We can can prove multiple incidents of plagiarism since then, but in college was his first incident. Another example of his uh, need to tell stories to be less than 100% uh, accurate is this story that he's continuing to tell about uh, a 10-year-old who allegedly needed an abortion. Now, if you haven't heard it, Biden uh, repeated the story for the for the, the second time that I know of uh, this past Friday, repeated this unverified, single-source claim that was made in various media outlets that there was a 10-year-old girl in Ohio who had to travel to Indiana to receive an abortion due to the Buckeye State, strict abortion laws. Now, before we go into Biden's discussion of it, Everybody should be stopping and ask, why does a 10-year-old girl need an abortion? Now, that's the first thing. And why can't a 10-year-old get an abortion if she genuinely needs one? Because if we're going to look at medical, I don't think the Buckeye State is so strict as to not allow medical exemptions. Now, Biden repeated the claim while signing this executive uh, order where he misread the teleprompter. This uh, executive order over abortion access that really doesn't do anything because, in truth, the executive branch of the federal government has no authority to change anything here. The only reason the Supreme Court has the authority to change Roe v. Wade is because Roe v. Wade was made from cough in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court issued a raw act of power in creating uh, that decision, claiming it was constitutionally protected when there's no judicial reasoning that legitimately gets you from uh, it's a state issue to, well, yeah, see, the Constitution says it right here. It's completely made up bunk. In this case, each branch of the government has a specific role to play. That's why they're co-equals. They have opportunities to nullify one another on various situations, but at the end of the day, each one has a specific job to do. The left hates right now that the Supreme Court makeup is actually returning us to how the federal government is supposed to function. They're not giving uh, conservatives everything they want. If they were giving conservatives everything you want, the stay in Mexico policy would not be coming to an end. Do you know why it's not coming to an end? For a reason that conservatives actually should like, and they're saying that the only reason it was allowed to stay in place at the moment was this ridiculous notion of the administrative burdens. There are laws on the books that state that executive orders uh, cannot be executed unless there's time uh, to do certain things, so allow the administrative changes to be made. You can't just up and say, okay, this is just done. That's bunk. But ultimately, The stay in Mexico policy was an executive determination made by the Trump administration. It had no power of law. It was basically an agreement that was made between the Trump administration and the Mexican government. So the next administration, since there is no law, has every legal right, just like with any executive order that exists, to just say, nope, we're done. No mas. This is the exact same thing that the previous court should have done when uh, they tried to stop Donald Trump from ending the DACA program. DACA, which actually is moving through the courts again, believe it or not. Biden repeated this claim. Repeated the claim. Now, the story is horrifying. The story has to do uh, with uh, supposedly the rape of this 10-year-old child. But In the time between the first time he shared this story and the second time this past Friday, there have been actual journalists, even folks that are strongly on the left that are very much pro, yay, let's kill all the unborn baby humans, that have started to question the legitimacy of the story. They can't seem to verify it. It appears to be a lie. So there doesn't seem to be a very good reason why you as a preserver of the right to kill unborn baby humans, the right to kill these pre-born, soon-to-be, living, breathing people, if you're going to be one of these people supporting that, probably not the best choice of stories to share and to use to back up your side. I mean, it's not that different from picking, I don't know, say somebody like George Floyd as your poster child. And that's who you're going to hold up as your hero. Then that's who you're going to turn into a saint. Maybe you're not making the biggest, strongest case you can make for your side of the argument. Just throwing that out there. Biden literally said, quote, this isn't some imagined horror, which actually right now it seems like it may actually be. Anyway, back to his quote. It's already happening. Just last week, it was reported that a 10-year-old girl was a rape victim. 10 years old. And she was forced to have to travel out of state to Indiana to seek to terminate the pregnancy and maybe save her life. Ohio law bans abortion after six weeks, except... ...for the cases where the life of the mother is at risk. So the girl may actually have been able to obtain an abortion in Ohio. Given that she was only 10 years old, if she was actually pregnant, there is a high risk that her life would be in danger. I don't think there's any medical question involved there. 10-year-olds should not be engaged in sexual congress. Even if they have matured younger, and we know that the physical maturing of uh, girls because of better nutrition and all this other stuff that goes on in the country, it keeps happening at a younger and younger age. So I do not find it outside of the realm of possibility to believe that a 10-year-old could actually become pregnant. There was a time a few decades back where that would have been a stretch. The maturity of the body is still required to get to a certain level before pregnancy could occur. But in Ohio, the life of the mother, I think there's still a strong case there where the physical maturity of the body to withstand the pregnancy, especially in the case of a rape, I have a hard time believing she would have actually had to leave the state of Ohio. She might have been required... And by she, I mean actually her family would have probably been required to actually jump through the legal hoops to to submit to a judge or to an actual court or somebody somewhere the specifics of the case and why it was for her own life that it was necessary to do so. But, uh, you know, why let little things like facts get in the way of telling a really good story, right? I mean, Biden's never let that stand in his way before, and he's far from the first leftist. The story Biden told came from a single source. Indianapolis gynecologist Dr. Caitlin Bernard. Bernard told the Indianapolis Star on July 1st that she had received a phone call from a child abuse doctor in Ohio who said they had a 10-year-old patient who needed an abortion. Bernard said the call came three days after the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade, which triggered an Ohio law that banned abortion after six weeks. Now, again not mentioning the specifics that there are exemptions in the Ohio law. But then if you're a leftist, you don't want to admit that there are exemptions in a majority of these laws because those exemptions are made to account for those extremely rare incidences where maybe it's not in the best interest of the sanctity of life. They like to use uh, rape and incest as those strange things. Rape, incest, and the life of the mother. That is uh, the the whole mantra that was behind the safe but rare uh, mantra that they used back in the 70s to try and push Roe v. Wade into existence in the first place. So the child in question happened to be exactly six weeks and three days pregnant meaning that her pregnancy allegedly lined up perfectly with the overturning of Roe. That's a heck of a coincidence. Bernard told the star that the young girl traveled to Indiana to obtain an abortion. No additional information was given. No one else has been able to verify any of Bernard's story. The name of the alleged child abuse doctor is still unknown. The city or county where it was alleged to have happened, well, it's not been named. And there is no confirmation anywhere that the case was reported to law enforcement or is being investigated. Now, just for the sake of playing devil's advocate for a second, the fact that this 10-year-old girl has certain rights to, to not becoming uh, somebody that has her horrible, most most difficult, most disturbing moment of her life plastered everywhere and made part of public knowledge. Because in this digital age, that literally would follow her for the rest of her life, no matter how many name changes she had and no matter how many different places she moved to. So if this story is true, and that's an awfully big if, It makes sense that the information that folks are looking for would not be readily available, would be difficult to come by, that names would not be given. Because even if you just name the place where the crime supposedly happened, that would allow for a really good investigator to probably track down who this person is. I mean, there are some folks, if they've got nothing better to do, they got the skills. They are professional investigators. Uh, But given enough time, you don't even have to be that good at it. You could still travel about and find out the information if you knew how to start from asking the right question and go from there. So these facts, why they are suspicious, they don't necessarily mean, okay, it didn't happen at all. But there are so many unrealistic consequences and, and statistical anomalies here. Consequences. Not consequences. Uh, The word I'm looking for is uh, coincidences. So many strange coincidences. The timing alone is outrageous. Makes it seem unreal. Now, we've all had moments in our life, though, where the timing of something is utterly ridiculous. We've all had those moments where uh, we're telling a joke about how we're not going to show up on Monday. And then... Dang it, we get real bad sick Sunday night and can't actually go to work on Monday. So, I mean, uh, that's not a perfect example. But we've all had something like that happen in our lives. So sometimes coincidence is dang odd. And if you have a suspicious mind, there's going to be a lot of people that just simply aren't going to believe you're telling the truth. So given what little bit of information we have, maybe we shouldn't just dismiss this right off maybe but we certainly shouldn't accept it as being the gospel either and we shouldn't have joe biden out here trying to make his case for uh supporting abortion his case for supporting the murder of pre-born baby humans utilizing this story as his prime example All right, let's go ahead and take the mid-hour break, and when we get back, we will move on to the next topic. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with me. I will be right back. You're listening to Tap into the Truth.
2: We were blessed with the government of buying and for the people, but I guess Big Pharma giant Pfizer Corporation thinks otherwise. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. A recent lawsuit filed by whistleblower Brooke Jackson alleging Pfizer and two of its contractors manipulated data and committed other acts of fraud during Pfizer's coronavirus clinical trials is paused following a motion by the defendants to dismiss the case. Why? Because Pfizer argued the lawsuit which was filed under the False Claims Act should be dismissed because the United States government knew of the wrongdoings in the criminal trials but continued to do business with the vaccine maker. To gum up the works, in 2016, the Supreme Court made it easier for crooked corporations to get away with screwing over we the people by ruling if the government continued paying a fraudulent contractor the fraud was not considered material to the contract pfizer is a federal contractor because it signed multiple contracts with the u.s government to provide and force americans to take their vaccines so maybe the government is now by and for the big pharma god help us i'm ron edwards Check out The Run Edwards, American Experience, 3 p.m. weekdays via therunedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. I, I do not view abortion as a, uh, um, as a choice and a right. I think it's always a tragedy. And I think that uh, it should be uh, rare and safe. And I think we should be focusing on how to limit the number of abortions.
1: You're listening to Tap into the Truth. In the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, this is Tom Caldwell, innocent January 6th defendant and proud Navy veteran. You're listening to the Voice of Reasons. always feel like somebody's watching me but you know what that's because they normally are i'm a crafty guy you need to keep an eye on me anyway there's no telling what i'm up to but i can also promise you that it has nothing to do with diamond cdb uh, not at all <laughs> because i'm just using the cdb as part of my wellness and pain relief program i'm still staying away from the uh the synthetic stuff that is available on the website, uh, but I, I'm sticking with the, uh, low-level, uh, non-THC stuff. So, anyway, uh, I mentioned them again because I hope you took advantage of their big 4th of July sale that happened just, well, back on the 4th of July, where literally everything on the website was buy one, get one free. If you did not, however, take full advantage of that, uh... Let not your heart be troubled if you're still looking at some quality CDB products from Diamond. Uh, They are once again running special sales on July 12th and july 13th uh, they'll be switching it up it's not going to be everything buy one get one free but it's still going to be a lot of great deals so follow the link in the show description and visit the website check out everything they've got to offer and be sure to uh, plan ahead i mean for your scouting but be sure to stop in on either the 12th or the 13th or maybe both because again not everything is going to be the same sale on both days and see what they've got going on. Uh, just remember to visit high-quality stuff, best stuff out there, and the prices are really, really good. And i got to tell you, I have actually incorporated the uh, CDB Honey Bear. I, <laughs> I've always thought that honey bears were kind of a funny thing to, to have your honey in, but the honey's great. And the CDB is uh, a high quality and, uh, you know, it's not a lot of it. It's it's a lower level, but it's enough for my aches and pains that are a result of the miles more so than the years. Uh, I know a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you uh, are a former athlete of any kind, you have put some mileage on your bodies that the average person may not have, and you tend to feel it once you start getting to a certain age. I'm, unfortunately, I'm afraid I'm at that point. So again, follow the uh, the link in the show description if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, if you're not, uh, then just come visit me over at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, into com. And uh, scroll down, once you land on that homepage, scroll down past recent guests and uh, pay a little visit. You'll see uh, some banners and some links and some buttons. Uh, You'll see one for uh, Diamond CDB. Uh, Just click one of those. It'll take you to the website. And that'll work just the same. By doing that, let them know I sent you. And, uh, you know, they kind of like knowing where all their customers are coming from. So just let them know I sent you. That's all I'm saying. Now, let's get back to the action. Uh, Something that I think is very telling and something that the administration is going to try to downplay, although they're going to be in this kind of a funky place because there is an agreement. The government is trying to help push and promote COVID vaccines. They have been for a while. And... They gave special immunity to these folks, and some of it made sense. They cut through some red tape. They were trying to create something, bring something to the market, uh, and they tried to reduce the risk, which in turn meant they could speed it into common use. Now, a lot of us have become extremely suspicious of the jab. A lot of us were already suspicious right out the gate. Uh, Several of us have moved into an area of suspicion where we weren't necessarily as suspicious at first. And then, of course, there are still a lot of folks out there that are uh, blissfully ignorant of any negative side effects at all and will remain so until it happens to them. They keep taking the boosters. Eventually, it will happen to them. But, see, there's good news. It's, it's very good news. Some of the best news that I heard because we were talking about and well, actually, I was complaining about the big moves to allow younger and younger children to get the vaccine. Now, we're finding that a lot of parents are not in a big hurry to let their kids take the jab. Now, there's a lot of good reasons for this, primarily the fact that COVID and all of its little subvariant forms have never really been particularly dangerous to children. Uh, they've never been particularly good at spreading from children. It's something about the youth that makes COVID not particularly effective in using smaller children as an incubation host. Now, It seems odd because you would think those with a less developed immune system would be more at risk. That's traditional wisdom when it comes to biology and uh, all disease uh, science to begin with, because generally speaking, those are the folks that are at greatest risk when it comes to something new. You typically have the elderly, then you have the very young, and then you have the immunocompromised folks uh, of any age. Those are the folks at greatest risk of any type of illness. But COVID has not exactly been your standard virus, which is all the more reason why I think it hints to it having been manipulated and manufactured, not a naturally occurring virus. Uh, Just one more bit of Uh, evidence that falls in line with a lot of other things. So I I don't think there are nearly as many people that are still defending the viewpoint that COVID was a naturally occurring thing. They're just hoping that part of the conversations went away. They don't like talking about it. But like I said, the good news is is that parents of very young children have been kind of slow to uh, have their kids take the jab. They're not listening to the federal government's recommendation that they vaccinate their kids against COVID, at least according to a recent report that was released. Evidently, we are looking at about 1.3% of eligible children under the age of five that have actually received the vaccine, and this according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, If you'll recall, it is, in fact, the CDC that recommended it for children as young as six months. Uh, Over at the Epoch Times, they reported uh, this same news, citing its own analysis of data from the CDC. The minuscule percentage is even lower in red states, where virtually no young children have received the jab. Uh, Quoting here from uh, the report... We know millions of parents and caregivers are eager to get their young children vaccinated. And with today's decision, they can. Yeah. Now, that was, of course, CDC Director uh, Rochelle Walensky. And she said that last month when the agency uh, made the recommendation. Now, they were recommending specifically Pfizer or Moderna, and they did make that recommendation for kids from six months of age up to five years old. But parents are not exactly following the recommendation. Experts told the news site, again, Epoch uh, Times, that most kids have recovered from COVID infections and developed antibodies, and there is scant evidence that the virus poses a serious health threat to young children. Uh, Quoting again, a lot of parents know most young children already have been infected and there are few or no symptoms. So they're not convinced that there is a benefit to subjecting their child to the unpredictable risk of suffering a COVID vaccine reaction, especially when you can get vaccinated and still get infected and transmit the virus. This is from uh, Barbara. Fisher, president and co-founder of the National Vaccine Information Center, and that was what she said to the Epoch Times. Now, the CDC said in their announcement that the COVID vaccines went through the most intensive safety monitoring in U.S. history, but we all kind of know that's just not true. I mean, we spent time on this broadcast talking about the effort that the uh, U.S. government went through, particularly the Department of Defense, in trying to hide the number of negative reactions that uh, U.S. military members had after taking the vaccine. Evidently, there was a higher-than-usual reaction among military members, and I would imagine that might have had a lot to do with interaction with other vaccines and vaccinations that they're required to have. After all, there are higher numbers of expectations placed in our military, especially those serving abroad. Anyway, the CDC told the news site that it believes the percentage of very young children getting the vaccine will continue to rise. Uh, they'll, they'll do it. They'll eventually do what we tell them to do because uh, we're the CDC and they're just the people. Quoting again, We're pleased that over 267,000 children under the age of five years have obtained their first vaccination and hope to see continued uptake of the vaccine now that it's available to children under five. The federal government has ordered 63 million doses for young children. And those vaccinations are, of course, free, meaning the taxpayers are paying for them. So, again, keeping in mind, nothing is ever actually free. In addition to crunching the CDC numbers, uh, the Epoch Times sought vaccination data for young children from all 50 states. It was able to obtain numbers from 30 states, including South Dakota, which has recorded 0% of children getting vaccinated. In Louisiana, Nevada, and my home state of Tennessee, along with Texas, a tenth of 1% or less of children from six months to five years have been vaccinated. Kentucky, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Idaho, and Montana are all at below 1%, according to what the site found. Northeastern blue states like Vermont and Massachusetts, they had the highest vaccination rates for these youngest children, uh, setting at 7% and 5%, uh, respectively. So 7% in Vermont, 5% in Massachusetts. Guys, you need to wake up up there. Your kids are not in any particular danger. Now, the CDC recommends, uh, recommended last fall, that kids between 5 and 11 years old get vaccinated, and 17% were one month out of authorization, according to the CDC. 17% got vaccinated within one month of that authorization. 20% of children between 12 and 15 were vaccinated three weeks out from that authorization now, according to the CDC, they said that quote it's too early for us to determine how vaccine uptake compares between children under the age of five years and other age groups. Uh, and there's some truth to that. it is way too early to tell. perhaps there's good reason not to even try to uh, make those assertions just yet because, again, uh, there could be another COVID scare and suddenly people will start doing dumb things again like blindly following the government. It seems ridiculous, but it is where we are. I, myself, personally hope that we do not see an uptick Because the dangers that you uh, face with having a negative reaction to these vaccines do seem to be higher in the younger age groups. Uh, A lot of heart problems and muscular issues have Now. Statistically speaking, there's not enough of them to say that we should immediately stop uh, utilizing the jab. There's a million other reasons uh, that maybe you can make that argument. But just on the number of negative reactions within the age groups is not statistically significant enough to justify it. But it is high enough that you should be made aware of the risk. Right now, the government continues to try to tell us that the risk of the virus is still far greater than the risk of a negative reaction to the jab. And that doesn't appear to be the case when it comes to anybody uh, under the age of 18, regardless of what age they're actually at. Another blatant lie. Another effort to try and sell us a round bovine excrement that is completely and totally unwarranted, unvalidated, and... uh, uncorroborated. And they now have enough data, you've been tracking enough information that they should be able to legitimately make their case, and they still can't. So here we are with Pfizer and Moderna needing to make their money back, and here we are with Joe Biden authorizing, at the very least, by putting his signature down somewhere the U.S. federal government, to use U.S. taxpayer dollars to buy millions of doses. And what has happened at this point? uh, More than half of the doses they've purchased have then been turned around and given away to other countries because we weren't using them. There is still a shelf life on these vaccines. There is only so long that they are good for. And so rather than let them go to waste, well, you send them somewhere else where where they want the jab. And now they turn around and continue to buy more for people that want it even less and who it appears it would do even less for as far as a benefit is concerned. When it comes right down to it, there's something the left has always been really bad at, and they never include this in any of their arguments because usually – When you include this in the arguments, you find out that the left's position is wrong. Just like any time you insert any type of facts. If you take facts into consideration, the political left very rarely have a legitimate leg to stand on. But the one thing that is missing here is your cost-benefit analysis. In this case, you're doing a risk-benefit analysis. You can go ahead and throw in costs if you want to because there is a lot of money being wasted, a lot of U.S. taxpayer dollars being wasted. Not that that's surprising. That's kind of par for what D.C. does. But a lot of dollars are being wasted to buy more of a vaccine that nobody wants. A lot of dollars are being wasted to try and continue to fund Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, and there's no reason for it. None. Ultimately, if you are a parent, you need to be made fully aware of the potential risk, especially for younger folks who have taken the jab and the long-term physical effects that it's had on their bodies. And while you can still qualify the numbers as being a rare situation, there is no reason to risk a rare occurrence happening to your child when there is zero benefit that's going to be accrued from it. The thing about risk assessment, risk reward analysis, risk benefit analysis is that when you look at the risk and you can't find a benefit, then the risk wins no matter how low that opportunity is. The risk is too high at that point. You just don't do it. So the fact that there are any children in this age group that are getting jabbed, well, it is questionable parenting. At best. Now, I don't want to sit here and uh, call out parents for doing bad things because there's a good chance that the parents that are doing this have bought all in to the efficacy of these jabs, that they believe in them because they believe everything the media has told them about them. And they believe that somebody like me who's willing to question its benefit is just a flat out vaccine denier and anti-vaxxer, and, and all these other things that they think means I'm a crazy person. So they're not likely to listen to me anyway, because I have the gumption, I have the nerve to ask the question, why would you put your child at any risk when the actual data, not just the sales from the media, not just the sales from the propaganda from from Pfizer, the propaganda from Moderna, when when you look at the actual data, you see there is no benefit to these children getting the jab. Why would you risk the potential side effects? Now, again, the risk is minimal. The risk is very low. Statistically, not exactly insignificant. And again, these numbers keep changing because more and more people have come forward. More and more people are having the issues. To me, that just falls back into the category of let's use some common sense, shall we? Let's take a long look at what's actually happening and determine, is this what's right? Is this what's best for my child? And if you can't find the benefit, well, if they do get the COVID, the COVID won't be as bad. Do we have any actual documentation that that's true? I mean, we want to believe it to be the case. We've been told that for a while. I've even parroted that point uh, some early on because it sounded reasonable. But at the end of the day, I-, I was being hypocritical myself when I when I parroted that because what proof is there? And that's really where we need to be with when it comes to injecting anything into our bodies. When I sit here behind this microphone and tell you, uh, don't do heroin, don't do crocodile Uh, Don't do math. It's coming from a point that I know, a place where I know there are strong evidence of the damage that will be done to your body and your mind if you do these things. These are bad things for you. They are particularly harsh. They have obvious long-term effects on you, even if you only take them for a little while and find a way magically to to get away from them after that. So what happens if you're actually intaking something that you really have no idea what the overall end effect is going to be because there's just not enough data? That's been my scientific argument against the jab from the very beginning. There's a reason why there are so many years in testing before something like this is turned loose on the population. And that's because until you have enough Data Until you have a large enough sample size, you have no idea what the actual risk is. We are still collecting that data. But what we do have right now tells us the younger you give the jab to someone, the more likely they are to have an adverse effect. And these adverse effects are more likely to be serious and to long-term affect the quality of their life. For God's sakes. Do not give the jab to somebody who's not even old enough yet to tell you that you are mama or dada. That's going to have to be it for the first hour. If you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this. If you're listening to the radio, however, uh, the podcast, uh, the show here, it always gets broke down into uh, hour bites. So tune in again tomorrow, same time to hear hour number two then. Or come find the podcast if you just can't wait. You can find me most places you listen to podcasts. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. And most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. This is Tim Tap. Let's Let's go, hey. Let's
0: go, a blue state clan, taught to praise the little man, told that unions saved the working class. He was raised a... The USA is in a crucial stage, it's not because of foreign- Too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. And so many people try to cross the border. And politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be Don't make sense. Dangerous funds will not turn into guns. All the unions always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free.
1: <laughs> hello, 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 and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, come to you from Beautiful, Lovely, Scenic historic Roan County, Tennessee. And uh, so very glad to have you here with me today. If you're listening uh, on terrestrial radio, uh, this is, in fact, the second hour of a live broadcast that occurred on July 10th of 2022. It's a Sunday. So uh, my guess is this is at least two days after the fact. So if you're wondering why I'm not talking about something that's happened since then, eh, this would be why and that's for your benefit if you're listening to the podcast however well then you probably have a good idea of what date this was done on just based on the fact that you can usually see the date when you pull up the podcast and uh you know i do not wish to insult your intelligence a uh, quick bit of information so we're just going to kind of jump in wanted to touch on this and i got a couple more stories after this that i'm going to try to sneak in I don't want to spend too much time, but something tells me I may. But it's important enough to, to make sure we talk about this. Because what we've had happen in the state of Virginia is rather telling. We literally have hundreds of bureaucrats quit. They're and quit. Because uh, Governor Yunkin has told them, you have an office, you need to show up for it. Uh, no more telecommuting. Over 300 Virginia bureaucrats have quit since Governor Yunkin announced back in May that state employees must show up to their jobs following more than two years of remote work since the onset of the COVID pandemic. Employees from five different state agencies resigned after Yunkin's new work policy, some specifically citing telework options. As the reason for leaving, at least according to ABC 8 News, uh, local Virginia affiliate. Uh, Quoting here, Unfortunately, we're not surprised by this information. This is from Virginia Governmental Employees Association lobbyist Dylan Bishop, uh, who was also speaking to the ABC affiliate. Uh, He continued saying, We had anticipated that the shift in policy would result in an exodus of workers, which is really concerning because of the state's recruitment and retention issues. Is it really? On May 5th, Youngkin ordered all state workers to return to in-person work by July 5th to balance the demands of government services with the needs of our public servants. The governor is excited to welcome the Commonwealth's workforce back in person and is encouraged by their continued dedication to serving Virginians. Um, That, of course, according to the deputy communications director uh, of Yunkin's administration. Now, uh, Rob, the deputy communications director, also said, We know an office-centric environment fosters collaboration and teamwork and provides an even greater level of service for all Virginians. It looks like the Virginia Department of Transportation took the biggest hit following the governor's orders with 183 employees leaving the agency at that time. 28 of the Virginia Department of Transportation workers named telework options as the reason for leaving the agency. Now, I, I for one, if you're working for the Department of Transportation, I, I'm not familiar enough with everything they do in the state of Virginia. But I know here in the state of Tennessee, there's probably somewhere around seventy percent of the employees that work based on how they operate here. That it would be very difficult to make any type of long-term telecommute options available and expect them to actually be able to do the job if you're actually open for business. And I think that's the case with a lot of these bureaucracies. So uh, it's kind of curious. Also, between May 5th and June 27th, the Virginia Department of Health lost 78 employees. The Virginia Employment Commission, uh, oddly enough, uh, lost 38 workers. The Department of Housing and Community Development and the Department of Emergency Management lost 13 workers combined. The change in policy was met with immediate resistance as a lot of these uh, bureaucrats are in fact leftists. Again, we're talking about the Commonwealth of Virginia. So these were mostly Democrats who were mostly hired under Democratic administrations. Remember, we're talking about Governor Blackface, who was initially uh, the guy Previous to Yunkins uh, taking over, so this change its just unreal. But what's kind of funny is that they talked about the burdens of child care, one of the things that they're supposed to be working for, uh, to, for the average citizens. So they fill the cost themselves, and suddenly they can't bother to show up. They mentioned high gas prices, uh, also kind of humorous since it's actually – a direct result of the Biden administration's poor energy uh, policies that have that there. A survey of 400 state employees that was released back in early June showed that 50% of the respondents were concerned with high gas prices and 25% mentioned child care as the number one issue they were against returning to the office. You notice that COVID isn't mentioned among them. Now, there was a request that Yunkin delay the new in-person policy to postpone it, push it back to September 12th, but Yunkin kept the July 5th date. He did not change it. The new policy allowed for bureaucrats to submit applications to work remotely for part of the week. Agency heads had to approve the request for the remote work one day per week. While any request for two days of working from home each week must be approved by cabinet secretaries. Now, that seemed a bit much if you ask me. I mean, personally, I think that if you have a job that you can do from home and as long as you're doing it, that the people that you directly report to instead of having to go to higher levels to get permission to do that, that does seem a little excessive to me. I mean, just just saying that from the standpoint of being an employee, or even from the standpoint of having been part of management somewhere, uh, if you're not going to let management make those determinations, why have that mental management? Anyway, Yunkin's chief of staff, uh, Jeff Gotham, reviews any application for three or more days of remote work for each week. So that... seems totally arbitrary and it seems odd, but here's the end result of this. The governor has the right to expect state employees to show up to work. There should be state employees showing up at work. And if you would rather quit than to go to your job, then it's probably best for the fine folks of the state of Virginia that those folks no longer work for them because something tells me they probably weren't really working for the people of Virginia anyway. Now, I'm sure a lot of these folks probably thought that if they all stood together and all quit, that would force the governor to change his mind. Governor Yunkin hasn't. He's standing firm on this point. And what this actually does, especially if you happen to be a resident of the state of Virginia and happen to be looking for an opportunity to Move to a new position is it opens a lot of doors that ordinarily are hard to get into. There's a lot of brand new positions available working for the state government that you probably would have never had a chance to even apply for before because very rarely do you see this many people leave at one time. If you want to be a public servant, you will not have a problem working for Governor Yuncan. You'll not have a problem working for the people of your community, and you'll not have a problem showing up for work. So guess what? While it may actually cause some turmoil and some delays in these offices now, there's a lot of great job opportunities that just opened up in the state of Virginia. All you got to do is step up and take one. All right. Now, in a much more serious story, not that that's not serious. If if you're living in Virginia and, and counting all these people, that's pretty serious to you. But uh, this one's a little more life-and-death level serious. There's an organization, in case you haven't heard of them, they're called Shut Down D.C. And this organization announced this past Friday that organizers would actually pay anyone who could tip protesters off to the locations of the conservative Supreme Court justices. And the price increases if they were still there ...at the name location 30 minutes later. Now, why would you think they would want them to still be there 30 minutes later? Hmm. Uh, Could play the 60-second Jeopardy theme right about there, but let me save you the dramatic build-up. They want time to create a flash mob protest group wherever these folks might be. Not hard to figure out. You don't need me to tell you what they're up to, but they're offering folks some money to tip off where they're at, to continue to disrupt their lives after hours. Now, the call for tips went out after the news broke that Justice Brett Kavanaugh had been forced to leave uh, Morton's Steakhouse in Washington, D.C., through the rear exit in order to avoid a crowd of protesters gathered outside the restaurant. That, of course, has been highly discussed, uh, at least among conservative news outlets, for the last little bit. Quoting here from the shutdown D.C.'s uh, Twitter feed. D.C. service industry workers, if you see Kavanaugh, Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Coney Barrett, or Roberts, DM us with the details. We'll Venmo you $50 for a confirmed sighting and $200 if they're still there 30 minutes after your message. Now, Politico's Daniel Lippman, Daniel reported on Kavanaugh's disrupted dinner departure, saying that Justice Brent Kavanaugh had to exit through the rear of Morton's on Wednesday night after D.C. protesters showed up out front. Lippman reported that Kavanaugh didn't actually come into contact with any of the protesters, but left the restaurant through the back door without staying for dessert. Now, that, if you're like me, is probably good news, but it's going to be very disappointing to you. Why? Because if if that was me, I probably wanted that dessert every bit as much as I wanted the rest of the meal. I probably need to skip the dessert, but, uh, you know, I've got that sweet tooth that I keep telling you about whenever I try to sell you some Bilt Bars, which, by the way, you need to visit uh, Bilt Uh, No link in the show description for them today, but you can still visit me at com, and, uh, you know, the routine from there. Now, a spokesperson for Morton's Restaurant gave a statement after the incident. They were speaking to Politico, and they said, quote, Honorable Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh and all of our other patrons at the restaurant were unduly harassed by unruly protesters while eating dinner at our Morton's restaurant. Politics, regardless of your side or views, should not trample the freedom at play of the right to congregate and eat dinner. There is a time and a place for everything. Disturbing the dinner of all of our customers was an act of selfishness and void of decency. Now, I kind of step back just a minute and say, uh, okay, let's give the high five there. Because they make the point in the statement that you were not just disrupting Justice Kavanaugh. You were literally interfering with everybody else who was in the restaurant who had nothing to do with Justice Kavanaugh deciding to choose to be there that night. In some cases, I would imagine they probably had reservations from weeks in advance. No way at all to know who else might be there. So to interfere with their daily lives after the fact, it seems to be a point of issue that a lot of these so-called protesters really have a lot of trouble wrapping their mind around. In particular, those morons who like to get out in the streets. When you're trying to block traffic, guys, there's a reason why your mother always told you not to play in traffic when you were little. And if you didn't have a mom that cared enough to tell you don't go play in traffic, then you probably ought to revisit the quality of a relationship you had with your mother. Don't go play in traffic. Bad things can happen. And quite honestly, the person who's responsible isn't the person driving the motor vehicle if something bad happens to you, if you're out on the freaking road and you get hit. It was you who should have known better in the first place. You're the one who's not supposed to be there. Pedestrians are only given certain locations to cross and certain times to cross. Otherwise, you're at the very least guilty of jaywalking, and and at the very most, you're guilty of a ton of other types of things that are criminal activities, and it's not a legitimate form of protest. We seem to have gotten confused about what does and does not constitute a protest. We seem to have gotten to a place in this country where, strangely enough, uh, if you are A leftist, then you literally can do everything from blowing up buildings. And, well, you know, that's just expressing themselves. But if you're a conservative, you can say on Twitter, uh, Ellen Page (laughs) is still a chick, and that gets you tossed off. Banned. Must be exiled. There's no room for that kind of talk. I think blowing up a building might be more dangerous, even if you think the building's empty. Looking at you, weather underground. But, uh, you know, it it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Because uh, protest is only allowed if you're on the right. If you hear the leftist say it. But then they turn around and try to squash the right's ability to speak at all. Meanwhile, they're defending riots as just a form of protest, as long as you're rioting for a leftist ideal viewpoint. We are living in a time where everything is upside down. (sighs) Anyway, Peter Ducey, quickly becoming one of my uh, favorite folks left over at Fox. He's currently serving as the White House correspondent over there. Um, He questioned Press Secretary Jean-Pierre. Asked about the incident, asking whether Joe Biden and his administration had any issues with protesters continuing to harass the conservative justices outside their homes or in public. Joan Pierre replied by saying, quote, people should be allowed to be able to do that if it's outside of a restaurant, if it's peaceful for sure. Ducey pressed again, asking whether she meant that the administration was signing off on protesters following the justices around simply because they don't like the ruling the court had issued. Insisted by Jean-Pierre, people have the right This is what a democracy is. Now, at this point, ladies and gentlemen, I will once again remind you, we do not live in a democracy. We do not live in a democracy. We do not—sorry, I'm just following the Biden rules of engagement for speaking. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a constitutionally federated republic. Or at least that was what our nation is supposed to be. We incorporated democratic principles— into to the running of our republic, but it is not a democracy. It was never a democracy. It was never meant to be a democracy. It was a republic from the beginning. And in fact, it was a federation of multiple republics because the founders in their great wisdom realized that that form is more likely to last a heck of a lot longer, to be more enduring than to just allow one large republic. Of course, they're okay with this, but you know, here's my real issue. Here, as soon as you see an organization like Shut Down DC make an announcement that they're offering to pay for tips because they want to organize protests at places of business, then uh, I just I can't help but wonder. Let's let's flip this the script. Let's say that it was. Uh, Sonia Sotomayor, who was being harassed by a conservative organization that was very similar to Shut Down D.C. Let's say we created a fictitional organization called Shut Down Socialist in America. And we were strictly an online activist organization where we organized the same type of behavior. But we targeted people that were known to be political leftists. If I and a select number of you fine folks listening decided to to join this organization and we were funding it and we were organizing protests and these protests were uh, in front of locations that supported leftist causes, how long do you think it would be before the Justice Department came knocking on our doors, investigating us? How long do you think it would be before... The banking industry was pressured into no longer allowing us to transfer funds back and forth. How long do you think it would be before we had to face scrutiny and be banned from social media sites and and all the other things that they constantly do to conservative-minded individuals who say something as innocuous as what Jordan Peterson said in regards to Elliot Page? I know I keep mentioning Ellen slash Elliot, and I haven't really talked much about what actually occurred there. I'm assuming that most of you probably heard a great deal about this already, so I don't see much of a reason to go too far into it. But at the end of the day, if you're going to boot off somebody from your social media platform for telling the truth, then uh, it's probably not a social media platform that we ought to be spending any time on. Twitter is a cesspool for leftists, and it's so bad that even Elon Musk now has apparently decided he doesn't want any part of it. He's tried to blow up the deal, or at least that's what it's looking like. Now, there are certain other folks that are still saying he thinks this is a, that they believe this is just a negotiation point to try and force a a lower price. And uh, that might very well be the case. But I think once you see behind the curtain, once you realize how many bot accounts are actually uh, operating on Twitter, how few actual people uh, have those accounts, then suddenly you find that there is a whole lot less value uh, towards trying to monetize that site again. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. We'll talk more about it when we have a little more to talk about. But my real concern here is you're basically placing a bounty On these people. These people, I remind you, happen to be Supreme Court justices. They specifically targeted the more conservative minded. And amongst them, uh, these are people that, for the most part, you can take Roberts out of the equation, but the others simply want to see a return to the Federalist form of government that we're supposed to be operating under. They read the Constitution, and they see that that is what the intention was. They read the Constitution, and they recognize that they do not have a role to play in forcing all states to do the exact same thing when it comes to a majority of issues. You can't talk to a Democratic officeholder and expect them to feel the same way. You can't talk to a member of the political left and expect them to feel the... They want centralized planning. They want one primary authority. And they want that primary authority to have all the power. They'll give you a million and one reasons why that's so much better. But you do not have to look at more than a dozen examples of where that's happened before and realize how it's so much worse. Is it hard? Is it difficult to survive in the United States of America if you are not independently wealthy to begin with or if you haven't inherited a large amount of wealth from someone? Yes, yes it is. But it is still far more difficult to move from one level of economic status to the next one up any other part of the world The United States is still the best place to be if you truly want to enjoy liberty. And part of enjoying that liberty means that you need to be responsible for you. Do not expect the government to be your babysitter. Do not expect the government to be your uh, freaking cash card. Don't expect the government to step up and uh, bail you out whenever you make a mistake. You lose too much of your freedom when you allow the government to be your nanny. And the government wants that power. They want that authority. That's what they're after the whole time. They don't want to help you. They want you to willingly give up as much of the sovereignty that you have so that they don't have to forcibly take it from you later when they make their next move so that they face less opposition with each new step they take to try to to end our liberty. Shutdown DC is literally putting a bounty on the Supreme Court justices, and I have a hard time believing that this doesn't, creep right up against some currently existing laws. Maybe technically it's not a violation, but the first time one of the protests that results from one of these tipsters giving these folks this information turns violent, the first time somebody gets injured or, heaven forbid, even killed as a result of one of these mobs showing up. Then there's no question, there is no doubt that there is blood on the hands of shut down DC, and they should be treated as a criminal organization at that point. But there is also zero, not a, not a daggum bit of doubt that as long as the current administration remains in power, there will not even be an investigation along those lines. There will not be anything done unless it is a preemptive effort to protect them from any type of legal repercussion cause they're just doing what this administration wants them to do hey go harass the conservative justices they're trying to keep us from having all the power that we should have all right let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break a little early guys don't go anywhere i'll be right back on the flip side <laughs>
2: I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. With all of the mass shooting events occurring throughout the United States, isn't it ironic how officials don't want to punish criminals but desire to take your guns? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Every weekend in cities like Chicago and many more, thugs are often not punished for their crimes. So now they do whatever comes to their corrupted minds with no fear of the long arm of the law. Yet, like clockwork, government drags like Kamala Harris scream about the need to come for your guns via gun control. To be frank, gun control is a fascist tool that was used by Adolf Hitler against Jews during the genocide of the 1930s and 40s. Today, it is advocated by leftists like California Governor Newsom, Joe Biden, and other Latter-day Nazis as disinformation to eliminate our God-given rights and liberty. Leftists are on an evil quest to disarm law-abiding sovereign Americans without the ability or will to resist incremental socialism and globalism. The United States will soon crash into a self-imposed dung heap of tyranny. Stand and resist the enemy, my fellow Americans. Your liberty hangs in the balance. I'm Ron Edwards. 3 p.m. weekdays. It's the Ron Edwards American Experience. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. I, I do not view abortion as a uh, um, as a choice and a right. I think it's always a tragedy, and I think that uh, it should be uh, rare and safe. And I think we should be focusing on how to limit the number of abortions. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Has all been done before, ladies and gentlemen, including me talking to you right now, been doing it for better than ten years now, and loving every minute of it. Glad you've chosen to join me today as always before we get back to the show, I want to talk to you a little bit about a company that is providing concussion protection for athletes at a level that we've not seen before that company's name is second skull uh second skull has currently got a partnership with major league baseball they're continuing to expand they make great products they have these headbands and then they also have uh skull caps that are primarily uh, their major focus they have different colors different styles they let you uh that express yourself they've got uh, relationships with all kinds of folks and they continue to grow but here's the thing that you need to know uh, most importantly second skull products are scientifically engineered to reduce impact every second skull comes with a thin layer of lightweight XRD. Now, that's an extreme impact protection material that's made from a special urethane molecule that is soft and flexible when it's at rest, but it can momentarily harden under sudden pressure. This provides a special level of protection in the event that you have a uh, head impact, and it certainly goes a long way towards preventing injury. Now, if you are a parent of a youth athlete, if you are a coach Of uh, a team, you may want to take a a look at uh, trying to get your athletes uh, fitted with second skull materials, too. Because whether you're in an impact sport or if you're in a sport where falls aren't that common, but they happen unexpectedly, this adds a layer of protection, not just against uh, concussions, but against head injuries of all kinds. It's basically like wearing an additional helmet. It's that extra protection. So there will be a link in the show description. It's SecondSkull.com. That uh, literally is 2, the number 2, NDSkull.com. So SecondSkull.com. Go check out what you'll see there, Uh, read about them, uh, read about the technology, and uh, make sure that your young athletes, the people you care about the most, or your team has the best possible gear available. Uh, Second Skull certainly falls among that qualifier. You want the best that they've got to offer. This is it. Second Skull uh, is They're definitely there at the top of the line. Uh, That's all I've got to say about that. Now, let's get back to the show, shall we? We're going to go visit the state of Wisconsin because there was recently an interesting court ruling there that I think you're going to want to hear about. A Wisconsin court ruled this past Thursday that a transgender sex offender could not legally get a name change because it is... Illegal for sex offenders to change their names. Being transgendered is not a factor in that, evidently. Now, here's the sad part. The decision was four to three, meaning that it was pretty close. There was some concern. Three of the justices involved here in the state of Wisconsin, well, I should say there in the state of Wisconsin, I said here because of the nature of the story, Uh, there in the state of Wisconsin, three of those justices seem to think that it would be okay because they're transgender to be above the law that says as a uh, sex predator on the predator list. Uh, well, yeah, you shouldn't have to follow the same rules that other uh, sexual offenders have to follow because you know you're transgender. Uh, ding, special privilege, right? Three three of them said that. Only four said otherwise. So in this four to three decision, the Wisconsin Supreme Court said that Ella the 22-year-old 6 foot 5 biological man who identifies as a woman could not get a name change due to Ella's status on the state's sex offender registry the sex offender was only referred to as Ella in court documents the original legal name was not available because the incident involved juveniles The court documents showed that a 15-year-old Ella was convicted of sexually assaulting a 14-year-old autistic boy who was blind in one eye. This led to Ella's placement on the sex offenders list. Ella, who was over 200 pounds heavier than the victim, also bullied the victim on Facebook after the assault. The teenage boy experienced further victimization and traumatization due to Ella's additional bullying, according to the court documents. Uh, and it was stated in the Associated Press, by the way. Uh, Ella's lawyers claimed that the name change denial constituted cruel and unusual punishment. And that it was a violation of the First Amendment's protections for free speech. The court's four conservative-leaning justices, however, uh, they were not exactly persuaded by that argument. Uh, Consistent, uh, quoting here, consistent with well-established precedent, we hold Ella's placement on the sex offender's registry is not a punishment under the Eighth Amendment. This according to Justice Rebecca Bradley. Uh, She said that in the majority decision. Uh, Continuing to quote from uh, Justice Bradley, Even if it were, sex offender registration is neither cruel nor unusual. We further hold Ella's right to free speech does not encompass the power to compel the state to facilitate a change of her legal name. Now, Wisconsin Supreme Court Chief Justice Annette Ziegler and Justice Patience uh, I'm again, sorry, uh, I do not mean to butcher your name. They signed on to Bradley's decision. Justice Brian uh, Hagdon wrote a separate concurrence referring to the sex offender as C.G. Because he disagreed with the other justices' decision to use female pronames for the plaintiff. Now, Justice Ann Walsh Bradley wrote the dissent. Saying that the name change denial would, quote, expose Ella to discrimination and abuse. Now, well, no real mention as to why. But requiring Ella to maintain a name that is inconsistent with her gender identity and forcing her to out herself every time she presents official documents exposes her to discrimination and abuse. She was, of course, joined by Justice Rebecca Danlett and Justice Jill Ka- Karovsky. Uh, anyway, uh, Justice Rebecca Bradley, though, said that the decision did not prevent Ella from living as a transgender person. For example, nothing prohibits her from dressing in women's clothing, wearing makeup, going out, uh, growing out her hair, Or using a feminine alias. The state has not branded Ella with her legal name. And when Ella presents a government-issued identification card, she is free to say nothing at all. Or to say, I go by Ella. Now, here's the fun part of this. If you haven't heard much about this case you're probably going to hear more and more about it over the next few weeks. Because, again, the left is very upset that the courts are simply not just rubber stamping the things they want right now. We're seeing a return to the idea that laws are laws and court opinions are supposed to be based on the law. And if a law happens to be in opposition to constitutional expectations, so then that law is invalid. That's where we're going, and we're seeing this, uh, again, largely thanks to Harry Reid at the federal level. This is not a federal case, though. This is not at the federal level. This is at the state level in the state of Wisconsin. Look to see somebody try to take this to the federal level. Don't know if they really will at this point out of fear of how far this goes. I can see this being something that would make its way to the Supreme Court if somebody does take it to the federal level. They've got no other option within the state of Wisconsin, though. Ella is going to have to keep his actual legal name. That's going to have to be the documents presented it's going to have to be the identity presented when it does anything official. Now, the court's opinion on this, it is accurate. The state's not the one who gave this individual his name. His parents did that. And the state acknowledged the name given at that point in time by issuing the birth certificate and acknowledging the name given. It was chosen by your parents. But that is who you are. That is your identity moving forward. Now, again, I've said multiple times, I've got nothing against anybody defining themselves, right? You get to define who you are. You get to define what kind of life you're going to live. You get to make your decisions, You get to make your mistakes, but you have to acknowledge when you make a mistake that it was a mistake and then try to do better. Even if you don't want to admit it publicly, you need to admit that to yourself. Now, that is an aspect of living in a free country, an aspect of living in a nation that is intended to provide you the opportunity to pursue your individual liberty. You have the freedom to make mistakes. And as a human being, you're going to make mistakes. Some of us are going to make bigger ones than others. Now, I, for one, would probably point to the fact that the events leading up to Ella getting put on the sex registry list was a pretty big mistake. Obviously, it was one done in youth, as Ella was only 15 at the time. But Ella lived in Wisconsin, and Ella needs to live with the consequences of what the law in Wisconsin says. Now, if you want to push the state of Wisconsin to allow for a name change for sex offenders on the registry list to permit it, then you need to go to work at the legislative level. And I, for one, I don't have a problem with anybody being legally allowed to change their name at any point in time. However... They shouldn't be able to get out from under the things they've done by changing their name. If you're on that sex registry list and you're in a state that would allow you to change your name, and I'm pretty sure there's a few that do, then you also need to immediately go right back onto that list under the new name. And there needs to be files kept that shows this is now the name, this was the previous identity. Now, that information doesn't necessarily need to be made available to the public, but it should still be available for law enforcement. And if that's the name you're actually going by, then that needs to be it. But if you do something like this for gender identity affirmation, then what is to stop you from instantly changing your identity back, knowing that you can get away with it? Because remember, the whole idea of the sex registry, it it does provide additional help for law enforcement, but it's primarily to let the people who live in the neighborhoods with these folks know who their neighbor is. It allows you to take the necessary precautions to protect your children. It allows you to take the necessary precautions to protect your loved ones. It also allows you to take the necessary precautions that if this is the type of person that you do not wish to associate with, that you simply, you know who it is so you don't associate with them. Freedom of association is one of the preeminent freedoms that exist in this country. Now, some people claim that, well, that leads to negative things, that leads to bad things, that leads to to bigotry. And in some cases, you might even be able to make that argument because there is nothing that's going to teach you to get past racism faster than actually interacting with people of different races. If you have enough personal relationships with people from different backgrounds and with different skin tones, you're going to suddenly realize that racism is pretty dumb. I mean, there's still going to be this natural uh, movement towards tribalism. There's there's not much you can do. It seems pretty hardwired into the human consciousness, but it will allow you to broaden your idea of who can be part of your tribe. Now, I feel very, very adamant about Ron Edwards and uh, Rod Eccles as both being part of the same tribe that I'm a part of. Now, I don't know how they feel about one another too much. We haven't had a lot of uh, interaction uh, that includes all of the above. I know that there are some issues between some of the folks that I consider to be part of my tribe uh, with one another, but it doesn't reflect on me. I I feel that because I've had these interactions with them. At a personal level. I know that there are people. That look way different than me. That think differently than me. But I've got to know them. At a personal level. So I know that they're good people. And so my tribe is a little ba- bigger. And a little bit better for that. But when it comes down to that freedom of association, I've got the right to choose who I associate with. I do not wish to associate with Joe Biden. Uh, Fortunately, it's never come up anyway. But at the end of the day, we should still be able to, to know who's in our community. And if there is someone that poses that type of risk, then we should know. But more important than that, the the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin recognizes the fact that if you allow one of these people on the registry to change their name, it provides extra opportunity for them to find a way to slip through the cracks. It provides extra opportunity for them to be able to present themselves as something different than what they are. Something less threatening, less dangerous. Now maybe at the age of 15... Maybe now the 22-year-old individual has grown past it, learned their lessons, and, and all the better for it. And if that's the case, more power to you. But as long as you're on that registry, that's still one of the repercussions of the actions you took. And no matter how you want to make the arguments about how long somebody has to pay for a single mistake, you still have to look at what that mistake was before you can make an adequate determination. Now, that's above my pay grade. That's why I've never tried to become a judge. I've never pursued a career in the judiciary you know, because I wanted no part of that. I don't believe I, pres- I don't believe that I possess the wisdom to make those kind of uh, determinations with people that I don't get to know. And I know that it, Sitting in a court of law, you're not going to get to know the people that are there. If you're a judge or if you're an attorney, you might get to know the judges. You might get to know the other lawyers. You might get to know the uh, court stenographer. Might get to know the bailiffs. But as far as the actual people walking in that you're trying to adjudicate cases for, you're not really going to get to know them. Not really. You see the version of themselves that are being presented. It's like trying to get to know somebody uh, using social media. My impressions of you based on those YouTube videos you make. Now, that might be a very realistic depiction depending on who you're talking about, but it also may be a very produced image. It may be a character that you're presenting for a specific purpose. It's important to understand. You get a much better chance of listening to my show on the regular and getting a pretty good idea of who I am based on the things that I say to you because I'm sitting here and I'm telling you how I'm feeling. And that's pretty much it. This is mostly me just venting behind the microphone. I think that's part of why the folks that do listen like it because uh, they understand that, hey, this is not a guy who thinks he's, better than any of us, thinks he's smarter than any of us, thinks he's uh, more important or has a more valued opinion. It's a guy that's sharing his opinion that uh, a majority of the time that you probably agree with and that on those occasions where you don't agree with me, you're at least willing to laugh me off and wait till I get to the next topic. So, you know, you, you do get to uh, you get a much better chance of having a better idea of who I am If you listen on the regular... don't just listen to one episode. You get one broadcast and think you know me. You don't. I mean, if you listen to just the right episode, maybe you get a better chance than some of them. But that's... The point still comes down to this. The Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin made this determination because the arguments... The arguments for the name change... They don't mesh with law in the state of Wisconsin. The law in the state of Wisconsin says, uh, if you're on this list, you don't get to change your name. That's the first thing. There's no special privilege for you just because you now identify as a different gender. That's the next point. No special privilege. You are being treated equal under the law. So you are receiving equal protection under the law. Legal argument that, well, uh, this is cruel and unusual punishment. Wrong on both counts. Number one, it's not considered punishment to be on the registry. Now, you can make the argument all day long that you're not going to get on the registry if you're not being punished for having committed a sexual crime. Well, that part is true. But being put on the registry is not part of the punishment, uh, the way they look at it. Now, you might be able to make an argument that, OK, maybe it should be considered part of the punishment because that is going to follow you around for a long time, even after you've uh, supposedly paid your debt to society. It's the way it's written in. In a lot of states, you stay on that registry uh, a long time after all the legal aspects have been settled. In some states, you don't get off the registry unless you stop breathing. Now, usually those there are special circumstances that you have to meet, and you probably are in a, a danger to reoffend. But when you break this down, it's not considered part of the punishment. But even if it was the way it was stated, even if this was part of the punishment, there's nothing cruel or unusual about it. It's not cruel that the public is given fair warning of the crimes that you've been convicted of presumably guilty of. It's not unusual. It's not over the top. It's not horrific. It's difficult for you to get out from under. But again, it's a pretty serious crime when you commit a sexual predatory crime against another person. Some people can legitimately make the argument, and I think There may be some truth to it. I I may actually fall down on this side that uh, committing a crime of sexual predator nature is worse than murdering someone. Because if you kill somebody, well, then they're dead and that's all they have to deal with. And you leave some grieving loved ones behind, but they are going to suffer for as long as they're in mourning. And at some point, that will become less. That seems kind of a callous way to put it, but it's still accurate, I believe. But if you perpetrate a sexual crime on someone, that is going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. And that's going to affect every relationship they have. Not just with other people that they might want to have a sexual relationship with, but everyone, their parents, their siblings, everyone, it's going to affect their relationship moving forward, period. So you do more harm for longer against more people. So it's a pretty serious crime and should be treated as such. The bar for being convicted should be high. I don't relish the idea of a lot of fake claims being made against folks and them being convicted and then having to suffer for the rest of their lives for something they didn't even necessarily do. But at the same time, if you are someone that committed this crime, if you actually did it, there should be some pretty long-term repercussions because the people you did this to are going to be suffering from repercussions for the remainder of their lives, period, end of that discussion. So, again, where where do you come down? How do you get off? Saying, and the, the whole freedom of speech argument, freedom of speech. Well, I got to give them a, a hat tip for uh, really going out on a limb and running out with whatever they could come up with. I mean, they were throwing everything at the wall and they were even trying to use some of the stuff that didn't stick just because they didn't have enough stuff that could. I would really like to know more about the the ideology, the thought process for the more left-leaning judges on the court. Because this idea that it's going to open Ella up to discrimination, how so? And again, I would say that Ella, even though it was a mistake of youth, even though this is more than a mistake for the victims, could have all been avoided every bit of it if instead of you know having to make the argument today that you become transgender if, if you just never done the things that got you on the sex registry in the first place that seems like a much simpler solution and that's going to have to be where I leave it for today ladies and gentlemen thank you so much once again for being here as always I appreciate it and remember don't take my word for it definitely definitely don't take their word for it be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth meanwhile one parting message for joseph robinette biden jr and then i'm out this is tim tap Hey. Let's-